Hi folks, this is Rue. And Dave. And welcome to So Many Books. So Little Time. Today we continue with Ella Montgomery's Anne of Green Gables, Chapter 38, the final chapter, The Bend in the Road. Final chapter? Yes. Music. Whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. So, this is our last chapter with Anne. Yes. We can continue to read through her lovely stories um, independently on our own in her series, which are the Anne of Green Gables series. But yes. How many other books are there? Okay. I don't remember. Okay. Don't have to look it up. You just. Uh... No, no. Give me two seconds. I think it was eight, but I might be wrong. Eight? Well, let's see. This. This book covered what, um, 12 to 18? Yes. But I imagine all books wouldn't cover similar time frames. Pretty much. I'm just just double checking. Wikipedia. So the first book, I'm actually going to read out the titles of each of the books. Okay. That seems fair. So we've got Anne of Green Gables. Anne of Avonlea. Anne of the Island. Anne of Windy Poplars. Anne's House of Dreams. I'm noticing that the the scope of each title seems to be widened. Anne of Ingleside. Rainbow Valley. Oh, that's different. Mm -hmm. Rilla of Ingleside. Rilla? Rilla. Okay, my mind's already going into what that could pertain. It's, It's, well, we've got Anne growing up, obviously. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking kids. Anne's kids, yes. If she had a daughter, she would want to call one after Marilla, wouldn't she? Yes, she would. And if she had a boy, she'd probably want to name it after Matthew. Most likely, yes. Speaking of Matthew, uh, that was a uh, rough chapter last time. Well, it's very emotive, yes. Yeah, well, I think we had a good discussion about grief and losing people. It does, yeah. It's a difficult thing, and it does come at its own pace. Mm. And then there was... Just that reflection from and just that life continues and it's hard to realize that it it's hard to process mm. and that it doesn't feel like they've gone but they have yeah yes so those the, it, it's like um schrodinger's hole in your heart yes we're gonna go with that schrodinger's uh, a hole in your heart my brain went into the scientific term and i'm trying to not go down that path <laughs> sorry you mean the scientific term for a hole in the heart mm. <laughs> stop <laughs> let it go okay so that can be repaired with surgical correction not so much grief yeah well of course i'm speaking metaphorically <laughs> yeah. Yeah. a literal hole in the heart is a big problem it can be it can be well, I don't think any of your uh, major organs, or pretty much anywhere on your body, that's not supposed to have a hole. You want a hole. No. You don't want a hole in any of your organs. Well, no, we have holes. That's yeah, yeah whole. but holes that are already there, yes. A new hole, no. Yes. Technically, sorry. Star Wars, so episode four, a new hole. But yes, so that hole in the heart can be a developmental thing, or it can just be something, I think, from memory... This is a long time ago. The, the heart actually, parts of it are not 
distinct chambers and they grow the chambers as you going from baby to oh, fetus like to... Oh, like some people have extra valves and... Yes, so some people have those extra blood vessels or their blood vessels haven't split as they're meant to and it's just one single blood vessel when there's meant to be like three. So things like that happen. Human body, fascinating. And it's funny how a lot of these weird abnormalities, the body can still seem to work fine. Yeah. I mean, there there are, maybe it has more limitations than a, a quote unquote healthy I'm going body. to say shout out to my cousin. Uh, so I have a cousin. My, my cousin, who's like my third cousin, her, her son. He was born with a condition they didn't think he'd survive a week. Oh. He is now at the two month mark. Okay. And he's doing pretty well. He does probably need surgery fairly soon, given the fact that his heart is in the wrong, his heart is in the wrong spot. The organs are all over the place. It's just wow. this. He's got something that is extremely, extremely rare, and usually they do not survive. Right. Um. But yes. Yeah, so the human body is fascinating, as I like to stick to it. But also, just whether you want to believe in a soul or whether you do not want to believe in a soul, just. There's something incredible about uh, thumbing your nose at nature, so to speak, when it comes to certain things where, where statistically, where the odds, where the science, where the facts say it shouldn't be. Well, you, you know that idea that one reason uh, we were able to um, become what we are as a species hmm is due to our adaptable nature, the idea that we were able to kind of change and adapt to any particular situation we were thrust into. Well, we event, we were fast. We were fast at adapting, yeah. Um, I wonder, yeah, it, it seems like that doesn't only happen on like a, a um, mental level. Uh, it yeah, it can physical. happen on a physical level, Yeah, yeah too. absolutely. I mean, usually not with heterotaxy, but yeah. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Like, uh, we're, that's not to say that li- physical, you put it, the disabilities and chronic illness aren't extra fun. That's sarcasm to live with. There, there's there's stuff. There's a lot of stuff to cope with, and it doesn't make you more noble or more strong or something to like. A look at that person who, despite their disability, does X, Y, Z. It's like, no, look, it's, it's part of who they are, and that's fine. It mm. doesn't, it's not a character trait, okay? But trying to, I guess, it's good to know that you can keep going, I guess is the word I want to go with. You can, you can have barriers, you can have issues, you can have just your body not cooperating, and yet, you can still have some sort of way to make a mark, whatever that is, whether it's that you've brought, we've had this discussion before, mm-hmm. this idea of like, if you've made someone smile or you've genuinely made someone else feel like they belong, or you have found joy in something, like you've seen something beautiful. Or you've finished a creative project. Or you've finished a creative project, such as... Chapter 38, The Bend in the Road, Anna Green Gables. But, yes, we're going to finish Anna Green Gables. <laughs> but that, so these things, I think um, we have this with Anne. She was reflecting on appreciating all these moments. And it doesn't mean you can't get frustrated with life. And it doesn't mean, it, it's like no one can tell another person how to experience life. Mm. That's, that's down pat. 
doesn't stop people from trying, but you shouldn't. <laughs> no. Well, it's no one can live another person's life for them. Therefore, they cannot project to another person how they should feel or think about life. You can tell them what you appreciate in them, but that's whether they appreciate it in themselves, it's another thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> unless you're Josie Pye. Uh... <laughs> you, 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 you couldn't let it go. You just no. you, you just had to. No. I liked the Merlets. I suppose there's a purpose for those people, but I still don't know what it is. <laughs> I, I, I like that uh, oh. Merlin and Anne were able to have a very. Uh... Yeah, I think that's something to reflect on. Like the end of it, like Matthew's death is painful for both of them. But it has taken down that harshness, almost that, that, that defensive barrier that Marilla has had in place. Mm. Because now she's letting out that, that love that she feels. That maybe, maybe she regrets not being affectionate enough with her brother. I mean, that's, that's mm. very well maybe. Let's psychoanalyze Marilla right now. Well, I think we talked about it before the... Um... She didn't outwardly show it, and maybe it wasn't there. Maybe this is again reading into mm. it, but you know, uh, being a woman who didn't marry, who has um, has kind of dedicated her life to looking after her brother, brother who yeah. has um, anxieties yeah. about uh, in, um, interacting with people, mm. especially mm. those of the opposite sex. Mm. You know, it's probably very easy for some resentment to, well, you know, that that familial duty. Yeah, but we, I think, we don't know how the parents know what was are, going on. or no. whether they had other brothers. I don't know. And I sisters. think apparently they were a bit strict from memory, just based on some of the interactions in the book. They they were a bit, they were odd. I think the family were considered odd because they were insular, they were isolated. Although we now know that her um, Marilla's mum came, was it Marilla's? I was going to say the Scottish roses got mentioned. Ah, yes. Yeah. Um, the, I went down to the, I was down to the graveyard to plant a rosebush on Matthew's grave this afternoon and said, Anne, dreamily, I took a slip of the little white Scotch rosebush his mother brought out from Scotland long ago. Matthew always liked those roses the best. So immigrant parents. Well, it's Canada. Yeah. Any, any, any colony. Yeah. Um, but that we know that the mum has come from Scotland. Yeah. Um, and that that's whatever is going on in the family they're very they they were a little different to the rest of the village and mm. that they were isolated a bit but yes now we also discovered that marilla had romance previously with a blythe with a blythe and they quarreled and john blythe was the father and they they quarreled and they didn't make up and he'd moved on and she regretted it Although I, I have feelings on that dialogue and that narrative because it's a bit, she should have forgave him earlier. See, she missed her chance. Whereas she's going, I had my moment of romance. I regretted not making up, but it, it, it is what it is. She's got a very mm. pragmatic view. Well, it's yeah, the, the, it could have been different, but this is the way it turned out. So why, why keep dwell? reflecting on Yeah, it? why dwell? Um, which is good. I mean, yes. But today we continue with chapter 38, The Bend in the Road. And yes, I've said that title out three times now, at least. That's okay. At least people know what we're talking about. Yes, The Bend in the Road. Marilla went to town the next day and returned in the evening. 
Anne had gone over to Orchard Slope with Diana and came back to find Marilla in the kitchen, sitting by the table, with her head leaning on her hand. Something in her dejected attitude struck a chill to Anne's heart. She had never seen Marilla sit limply, inert like that. Are you very tired, Marilla? Yes, no, I don't know, said Marilla wearily looking up. I suppose I'm tired, but I haven't thought about it. It's not that. Did you see the oculist? What did he say? asked Anne anxiously. Yes, I saw him. He examined my eyes. He said that if I give up all reading and sewing entirely, and any kind of work that strains the eyes, and if I'm careful not to cry, and if I wear the glasses he's given me, he thinks my eyes may not get any worse and my headaches will be cured. But if I don't, he says, I will certainly be stone blind in six months. Blind. And just think of it. For a minute, Anne, after her first quick exclamation of dismay, was silent. It seemed to her that she could not speak. Then she said bravely, but with a catch in her voice, Marilla, don't think of it. You know he has given you hope. If you are careful, you won't lose your sight altogether. And if his glasses clear your headaches, it will be a great thing. I don't call it much hope, said Marilla bitterly. What am I to live for if I can't read or sew or do anything like that? I might as well be blind or dead. This is incredibly bad ableism, but we're going to let it go. What was that thing before about not telling other people how to feel? Well, no, there's th- th- that's fair. She's having her grief. But it's just this attitude that's... It's hard for those who have different conditions or are born a certain way if you're born to to hear hear that other people would rather be dead than live with those conditions it's it's a slap in the face Yeah, yeah yeah i might as well be blind or dead as for crying i can't help that when i get lonesome but there it's no good talking about it if you'll get me a cup of tea i'll be thankful i'm about done out don't say anything about this to anyone for a spell yet anyway I can't bear that folks should come here to question and sympathize and talk about it. Have you tried yoga? Have you tried kale? Are you sure? Let's pray over it. Like, <laughs> I, I sense, I sense some a, a resentment coming. <laughs> yes, a little bit. I mean, yeah, they mean well. And yet. Hmm. Have I told you how wonderful I find meditation? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I like meditation, but it's not going to make Marilla see better. I don't know. It, it could has, be. It has miraculous powers. I know this. this... It, it's turned me into an insufferable twat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, not knocking on meditation. If you do it, enjoy. Oh, God, it's amazing. Mm, yeah. And if you don't like it, it's good, too. When Marilla had eaten her lunch, Anne persuaded her to go to bed. Then Anne went herself to the east gable and sat down by her window in the darkness alone, with her tears and her heaviness of heart. How sadly things had changed since she had sat there the night after coming home. Then she had been full of hope and joy, and the future had looked rosy with promise. Anne felt as if she had lived years since then, but before she went to bed there was a smile on her lips and a peace in her heart. She had looked her duty courageously in the face and found it a friend, as duty ever is when we meet it frankly. 
That's actually a really cool idea. Like she's made a decision, obviously. Mm. But she, the way she's looked at it, she's like, gone, look, I've made my decision. I've evaluated what needs to be done. I've looked at what's like, just really, you've, you've made your choice. And once you've made your choice and your decision and you've done it thoroughly, mm. yeah, it's, it's a good feeling. One afternoon, a few days later, Marilla came slowly in from the front yard where she had been talking to a caller, a man whom Anne knew by sight as Saddler from Carmody. Anne wondered what he could have been saying to bring that look to Marilla's face. What did Mrs. Sadler want, Marilla? Marilla sat down by the window and looked at Anne. There were tears in her eyes in defiance of the oculus prohibition, and her voice broke as she said, He heard that I was going to sell Green Gables, and he wants to buy it. Buy it? Buy Green Gables? Anne wondered if she had heard aright. Oh, Marilla, you don't mean to sell Green Gables. And I don't know what else is to be done. I've thought it all over. If my eyes were strong, I could stay here and make out to look after things and manage with a good hired man. But as it is, I can't. I may lose my sight altogether, and anyway, I'll not be fit to run things. Oh, I never thought I'd live to see the day when I have to sell my home. But things would only go behind worse and worse all the time till nobody would want to buy it. Every cent of our money went in that bank, and there's some notes Matthew gave last fall to pay. Mrs. Lynde advises me to sell the farm and board somewhere, with her, I suppose. It won't bring much. It's small and the buildings are old. But it'll be enough for me to live on, I reckon. I'm thankful you're provided for with that scholarship, Anne. I'm sorry you won't have a home to come to in your vacations. That's all. But I suppose you'll manage somehow. Marilla broke down and wept bitterly. "'You mustn't sell Green Gables,' said Anne resolutely. "'Oh, Anne, I wish I didn't have to, but you can see for yourself I can't stay here alone. I'd go crazy with trouble and loneliness, and my sight would go. I know it would.' "'You won't have to stay here alone, Marilla. I'll be with you. I'm not going to Redmond.' "'Not going to Redmond?' Marilla lifted her worn face from her hands and looked at Anne. "'Why, what do you mean?' Just what I say. I'm not going to take the scholarship. I decided so the night after you came home from town. You surely don't think I could leave you alone in your trouble, Marilla, after all you've done for me. I've been thinking and planning. Let me tell you my plans. Mr. Barry wants to rent the farm for next year, so you won't have any bother over that. And I'm going to teach. I've applied for the school here, but I don't expect to get it, for I understand the trustees have promised it to Gilbert Blythe. But I can have the Carmody School. Mr. Blair told me so last night at the store. Of course, that won't be quite as nice or convenient as if I had the Avonlea School. But I can board home and drive myself over to Carmody and back in the warm weather at least, and even in winter I can come home Fridays. We'll keep a horse for that. Oh, I have it all planned out, Marilla and I'll read to you and keep you cheered up. You shan't be dull or lonesome, and we'll be real cozy and happy here together, you and I. Marilla had listened like a woman in a dream. Oh, Anne, I could get on real well if you were here, I know, but I can't let you sacrifice yourself so for me. It would be terrible. Nonsense, Anne laughed merrily. There is no sacrifice. 
Nothing could be worse than giving up Green Gables. Nothing could hurt me more. We must keep the dear old place. My mind is quite made up, Marilla. I am not going to Redmond, and I am going to stay here and teach. Don't you worry about me a bit. But your ambitions, and I'm just as ambitious as ever, only I've changed the object of my ambitions. I'm going to be a good teacher, and I'm going to save your eyesight. Besides, I mean to study at home here and take a little college course all by myself. Oh, I've dozens of plans, Marilla. I've been thinking them out for a week. I shall give life here my best, and I believe it will give its best to me in return. When I left Queen's, my future seemed to stretch out before me like a straight road. I thought I could see along it for many a milestone. Now there is a bend in it. I don't know what lies around the bend, but I'm going to believe that the best does. It has a fascination of its own, that bend, Marilla. I wonder how the road beyond it goes. What there is of green glory and soft, checkered light and shadows. What new landscapes, what new beauties, what curves and hills and valleys further on. I don't feel as if I ought to let you give it up, said Marilla, referring to the scholarship. But you can't prevent me. I'm sixteen and a half, obstinate as a mule, as Mrs. Lynde once told me, laughed Anne. <laughs> oh, Marilla, don't you go pitying me. I don't like to be pitied, and there's no need for it. I'm heart glad over the very thought of staying at dear Green Gables. Nobody could love it as you and I do, so we must keep it. You blessed girl, said Marilla, yielding. I feel as if you've given me a new life. I guess I ought to stick out and make you go to college, but I know I can't, so I ain't going to try. I'll make it up to you, though, Anne. When it became noised abroad in Avonlea that Anne Shirley had given up the idea of going to college and intended to stay home and teach, there was a good deal of discussion over it. Most of the good folks, not knowing about Marilla's eyes, thought she was foolish. Mrs. Allen did not. She told Anne so in approving words that brought tears of pleasure to the girl's eyes. Neither did the good Mrs. Lynde. She came up one evening and found Anne and Marilla sitting at the front door in the warm, scented summer dusk. They liked to sit there when the twilight came down and the white moths flew about in the garden and the odor of mint filled the dewy air. Mrs. Rachel deposited her substantial person upon the stone bench by the door, behind which grew a row of tall pink and yellow hollyhocks with a long breath of mingled weariness and relief. I declare... I am getting glad to sit down. I've been on my feet all day, and two hundred pounds is a good bit for two feet to carry around. It's a great blessing not to be fat, Marilla. I hope you appreciate it. <laughs> wow. Well, Anne, I hear you've given up your notion of going to college. I was real glad to hear of it. Um, you've got as much an education now as a woman can be comfortable with. Uh, right, right, because Mrs. Linden believe in girls' higher education. Exactly. I don't believe in girls going to college with the men and cramming their heads full of Latin and Greek and all that nonsense. But I'm going to study Latin and Greek just the same, Mrs. Lynde, said Anne, laughing. I'm going to take my arts course right here at Green Gables and study everything that I would at college. Mrs. Lynde lifted her hands in holy horror. <laughs> Anne, <laughs> Anne Shirley, you'll kill yourself. Not a bit of it. I shall thrive on it. Oh, I'm not going to overdo things. As Josiah Allen's wife says, I shall be medium, but I'll have lots of spare time in the long winter evenings, and I've no vocation for fancy work. 
I'm going to teach over at Carmody, you know. I don't know it. I guess you're going to teach right here in Avonlea. The trustees have decided to give you the school. Yay! Mrs. Lynde, cried Anne, springing to her feet in surprise. Why, I thought they'd promised it to Gilbert Blythe. So they did. But as soon as Gilbert Blythe heard that you'd applied for it, he went to them. They had a business meeting at the school last night, you know, and he told them that he withdrew his application and suggested they accept yours. Wow. He said that he was going to teach at White Sands. Of course, he knew how much you wanted to stay with Marilla. I must say, I think it was real kind and thoughtful in him. That's what. Real self-sacrificing, too. For he'll have his board to pay at White Sands, and everybody knows he's got to earn his own way through college. Mm -hmm. So the trustees decided to take you. I was tickled to death when Thomas came home and told me. It's a nice gesture, but considering how difficult Gilbert's got it, it is a little foolish. Well, it's foolish, but also, I think... I mean, obviously he still has feelings for Anne. Yes, there's that. But there's also this idea of sacrifice. I think that's where he's saying sacrifice. Sacrifice, the definition or the way that I've always understood it to mean is the sacrificing of something lower for something higher. And in this case, he sacrificed um, financially and in other ways, but the higher aspect is that he knows that someone is able to be there for someone right. who's been there for the community. So the, it's, its community is still a priority. Like they, the, the book said that Merla's eyes haven't gone through the community, but... I wonder if, you know, he is a very smart boy. Maybe he's reading behind Anne's decision to stay. And... It's, I think they've just lost Matthew. And he knows, he would have known that Marilla saw doctors here and there. Because and that he's man wanting from, to... And yeah. from Carmody, who she was going to sell to, he's obviously in real estate or something similar. Yeah, so so they're like, what's this man doing in Avonlea? Yeah, so there's, there's, there's no way that, like, they don't necessarily know about the eyes. But they know, and I'd say that Gilbert is more aware of stuff that's going on but also just knowing that marilla doesn't have anyone else mm. and doesn't have anyone else yeah i mean yes she has diana as a friend but family wise yeah. they only have each other yes and i think he's got a he's grown up to be quite a and to be upright character to be honest it feels like if Anne had gone off to redmond was it she yeah had she gone to college yeah. uh, it probably would have killed marilla yeah Absolutely. I mean, Marilla was willing to make that sacrifice for her daughter. Because basically, they, they, they are, are mother and daughter yeah. at this point. It's so nice to see their relationship. Mm. Okay, sorry. But yeah, um, Anne decided to do what she felt was the dutiful thing. and yeah. Look after the woman who'd given her so Well, much. let's see how Anne responds to Gilbert's sacrifice. Ah. I don't feel that I ought to take it, murmured Anne. I mean, I don't think I ought to let Gilbert make such a sacrifice for... From me. I guess you can't prevent him now. He's signed papers with the White Sands trustees, so it wouldn't do him any good now if he were to refuse. Of course you'll take the school. You'll get along all right now that there's no pies going. <laughs> oh, wow. Even Mrs. Lynn is like, those pies. Those pies. Josie was the last of them, and a good thing she was. That's what. Wow. <laughs> Until the next generation of pies. Mm. There's been some pie or another going to Avonlea School for the last 20 years, and I guess their mission in life was to keep school teachers reminded that the earth isn't their home. Ooh. Wow. Wow. 
Wow. Is is that implying they were driving them to suicide? Because that's what I'm getting out of that. Or at least a drink. Or a drink, yeah, something. (laughs) Bless my heart. What does all that winking and blinking at the Barry Gable mean? Diana is signaling for me to go over, laughed Anne. You know we keep up the old custom. Excuse me while I run over and see what she wants. (laughs) Anne ran down the clover slope like a deer and disappeared in the furry shadows of the haunted woods. Yes, not furry. Mrs. Lynde looked after her indulgently. There's a good deal of the child about her yet in some ways. There's a good deal more of the woman about her in others, retorted Marilla, with a momentary return of her old crispness. (laughs) But crispness was no longer Marilla's distinguishing characteristic, as Mrs. Lynde told her Thomas that night. Marilla Cuthbert has got mellow, that's what. Anne went to the little Avonlea graveyard the next evening to put fresh flowers on Matthew's grave and water the Scotch rosebush. She lingered there until dusk, liking the peace and calm of the little place, with its poplars whose rustle was like a low, friendly speech, and its whispering grasses growing at will among the graves. When she finally left it and walked down to the long hill that sloped to the lake of shining waters, it was past sunset, and all Avonlea lay before her in a dreamlike afterlight, a haunt of ancient peace. There was a freshness in the air, as of a wind that had blown over honey-sweet fields of clover. Home lights twinkled out here and there among the homestead trees. Beyond lay the sea, misty and purple, with its haunting, unceasing murmur. The west was a glory of soft-mingled hues, and the pond reflected them all, in still softer shadings. The beauty of it all thrilled Anne's heart, and she gratefully opened the gates of her soul to it. Dear old world, she murmured, you are very lovely, and I am glad to be alive in you. Halfway down the hill, a tall lad came whistling out of a gate before the Blythe homestead. It was Gilbert, and the whistle died on his lips as he recognized Anne. <laughs> like, awkward! <laughs> He lifted his cap courteously, but he would have passed on in silence if Anne had not stopped and held out her hand. Gilbert, she said with scarlet cheeks, I want to thank you for giving up the school for me. It was very good of you, and I want you to know that I appreciate it. Gilbert took the offered hand eagerly. It wasn't particularly good of me at all, Anne. I was pleased to be able to do you some small service. Are we going to be friends after this? Have you really forgiven me my old fault? Anne laughed and tried unsuccessfully to withdraw her hand. I forgave you that day by the pond landing, although I didn't know it. What a stubborn little goose I was. I've been. I may as well make a complete confession. I've been sorry ever since. We are going to be the best of friends, said Gilbert jubilantly. That's uh, that's jumping ahead pretty quickly. Well, they. I think, remember, she knew... The same way she's been observing and, and reflecting how good he it would be for him. He probably feels the same yeah, way. Because yeah. he can hear her conversations. And she can hear his conversations and kind of tell that... And they are of similar um, brain it, waves. Yeah. They're similar intellectually. so they're, they're And they compete. I mean, you can tell they compete. But I think also their appreciation of the world is very similar. I mean, we just had Anne coming out of this reverent... I'm so glad to be in this mm-hmm. world. It's so beautiful kind of thing. And the chances that Gilbert has a similar attitude towards life, given 
Um, I mean, he's a noble character in that sense. Mm. Yeah. We were born to be good friends, Anne. You've thwarted destiny enough. Oh, wow. Yes. Tell you, they, they are the same kind of mental, mental space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, that that's some Anne melodrama right there. Right there. Yep. I know we can help each other in many ways. That sounds a little funny, but it's okay. Mm-hmm. You are going to keep up with your studies, aren't you? So am I. Come, I'm going to walk home with you. Marilla looked curiously at Anne when the latter entered the kitchen. Who was that? Came up the lane with you, Anne. Gilbert Blythe, answered Anne, vexed to find herself blushing. I met him on Barry's Hill. I didn't think you and Gilbert Blythe were such good friends that you'd stand for half an hour at the gate talking to him, said Marilla with a dry (laughs) smile. (laughs) So yes, they are the best of friends. We haven't been. We've been good enemies. But we have decided that it will be much more sensible to be good friends in the future. Were we really there half an hour? It seemed just a few minutes. But, you see, we have five years lost conversations to catch up with, Marilla. Anne sat long at her window that night, companioned by glad content. The wind purred softly in the cherry boughs, and the mint breaths came up to her. The stars twinkled over the pointed firs in the hollow, and Diana's light gleamed through the old gap. Anne's horizons had closed in since that night she had sat there after coming home from Queen's. But if the path set before her feet was to be narrow, she knew that flowers of quiet happiness would bloom along it. The joy of sincere work and worthy aspiration and congenial friendship were to be hers. Nothing could rob her of her birthright of fancy or her ideal world of dreams, and there was always the bend in the road. God's in his heaven, all's right with the world, whispered Anne softly, softly. Uh, and that's uh, it. So it's it, this is a book of I guess challenges, mistakes, learning lessons, and contentment. Just the, just this con- contentment and, and appreciation, I guess. Kind of like, no matter what path life takes, to try and try and believe as well you can that things are going to work out. Okay, or, but also and, to live it the best you can. Like be, I hate the expression "be best." Don't. Hashtag be best. Uh, um, <laughs> Hashtag blessed. Oh, God. <laughs> My face is just this, like, why? Um, Hashtag cringe. <laughs> very much so. But, yeah, there's there's just this beauty in... We have... I love how Ellen Montgomery constantly brings to mind the natural environs. Like, she, she has a very beautiful way of writing about the... Um, yeah, the different colors and sensations of the nature around Anne. And obviously, we're seeing it through Anne's eyes, so everything takes on a more mythical quality. But mm-hmm. but it really does help uh, for the reader to kind of be enveloped in the beauty of it and, mm-hmm. and see why she has such reverence for Avonlea and Green Gables. Yeah, I think that's, that's a big part of it that makes this book so beautiful. I, I'd say... The, natu- the description of nature. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons I've, I will reread this book and generally Ella Montgomery's books, the way she describes nature is just, just, that's number one. Right. The way she has a bit of a humor, the way she describes minor flaws like um, 
an absence of imagination or I Mar- mean, Marilla's crispness. Yes, Marilla's crispness. Like she, she, just, she manages to bring to light the way she does the the floors isn't actually. It makes them human. It makes them real. Well, even with how horrific Josie Pie has been the last few chapters, I still found myself kind of defending her, giving them her the benefit of the doubt. Like, well, she's still smart enough to have gone to Queens, and maybe you know. But but I I see what you mean because I saw her as you know as full of character as all the others that were there. Yes, they're all the one time like when she described really bad flaws, like not the minor little character things. For example, when Marilla was suspecting Anne of stealing. Right, yeah. It makes it very clear that in both this society, but also in terms of what the implications of someone who is untrustworthy mm-hmm. are, it's very... She's good at describing her distinct levels of what is right and wrong. So in this case, you had... Morality. Morality, but her her morality, I don't... We haven't seen uh, what her principles are. Like, say, if Anne were starving, would how would that work? Right. Would she condone a character that is otherwise good and giving and everything and generous? Would she condone her stealing an apple from an ah. orchard program? We don't know. But in the context of this is someone who has had nothing, but has come here and is showing appreciation in all these different ways... But then, and there were challenges. Yes, and there were challenges. Um, but that the way that I guess you can see how how different people perceive things. So what Mrs. Lynn's perception of what is and isn't proper for a society for a person to do for a woman to do, etc. Even I love that little exchange right at the end when she ran off to go see Diana because they kept the candle signaling going you know mrs lynn was like oh wow she's still got a lot of child in her and because of marilla understanding just what Anne has done to be there with her go oh no no there's much more woman in her yeah and then even then that child was generous and giving and self-sacrificial she appreciated things yes she wanted things in life but and as she becomes older we see they're going the things are not the important aspect to this the importance is appreciating what you have really cherishing it, cherishing the people you connect with, cherishing the stories, and having ambition, but finding out what that is. Well, I do love that the whole thing about the bend in the road, you know, when Marilla was trying to talk her out of uh, giving away the scholarship, she said, but your ambitions, and Anne was like, I still have ambitions, I've just changed what those are. Yeah. I've thought a lot about this, yeah, you know, circumstances made it so that is not the way forward for me anymore. And I don't know where this new path is going to take. There's a bend in the road. I can't see around it. And that's adventure in itself. And that's exciting in itself. And even, I love that little bit at the end where she said, even if my path forward ends up being very narrow, there will at least be beautiful flowers lying in. Yes. So it's, it, it is, I mean, this is, this, uh, if you go a little bit into Ellen Montgomery's background, and I haven't, in a long time, so I will get it wrong. Um, from memory, she was uh, the wife of a pastor. Ah, so she was a Mrs. Allen. I think she was a minister's wife, if I'm not mistaken. I will double check now because that is important. <laughs> It'd be funny thinking of Mrs. Allen as a self-insert character. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think she's like Mrs. Allen. I think she's a lot more like um, Anne. Um, that would so... not surprise me. Oh, another thing I love yeah. about this 
the new way things have worked out mm. uh, um, is that Diana's going to be there until she gets married off to someone. So, yeah. you know, her and her friendship with Diana can still blossom. Keep going, yeah. Um, okay, so I, I think just to wrap up, because um, to wrap up this whole thing about it, let's have a little bit of, this is Wikipedia, we're not reading her autobiography, just let it, it's okay, it's fine. So just going for Wiki. So she was born in Prince Edward Island, so that's why she loves writing about Prince Edward Island. She does tend to. Um, her mother died of tuberculosis when she was 21 months old. Oh, damn. So she definitely relates to Anne in that sense. Oh, that's right. The mom and dad died very quickly yeah. of illness. Stricken with grief, her father um, placed her in the custody of her maternal grandparents. All right? Mm-hmm. And when she was seven, he moved away to... Um, uh, I can't say that. The Northwest Territories at the time. Okay. Um, Saskatchewan? Yeah. But so she grew up uh, in... in um, she grew up raised by her grandparents. And she was very lonely. So she created imaginary friends and worlds to cope with her loneliness. Mm. Um, and they were, <laughs> their names were Kathy Maurice, <laughs> Lucy Gray, who lived in the fairy room beneath, behind the bookcase in the drawing room. Um, during a church service, Montgomery asked her aunt where her dead mother was, leading her to point upwards. And Montgomery saw a trap door in the church's ceiling, which led her to wonder why the minister didn't just get a ladder to retrieve her mother up in the church's ceiling. And yes, PEI, or Prince Edward Island, is split between Catholics and Protestants. So as we get older, she wrote, she was a little local celebrity, hopefully, because she published a poem. She was very emotionally rollercoastery. And? Yes. She is very reflective on that. She did get a poet, poem published, uh, a few poems published. So she went to the Prince of Wales College in Charlottetown to obtain her teacher's license. And she loved living on the island. She loved walking in the countryside um, and just beautiful connection with country. She worked in different schools, but she did not enjoy teaching. But her story started to get published. Yeah, teaching's not for everybody. No, we talked not. about it a couple of episodes ago about it being a calling. Mm-hmm. She was teaching at 13. Damn. I know. At 14, she began a relationship with a local boy, and it was for her, she just found it humorous and witty friendship. He wanted more, and she rejected his marriage proposal, and there went the friendship. Mm. And she got more people trying to... Um... So she had a few bows. She refused a lot of marriage proposals because, one, the former was narrow-minded, the latter was just a good friend. She was proposed by someone, and then she um, accepted the proposal out of a desire for love and protection because she felt her prospects were rather poor. But she became she disliked him because he was intolerably self-centered and vain, which is interesting because she comments on that. She, whenever she there's someone who's vain or there's someone who's self-centered, they are ridiculed, mocked, mm. derided. Um, she broke off her engagement. Because of the Spanish flu? No, because she, she fell for someone else. Uh-huh. She has a, she's had a tumultuous romantic path. She did get married. That's the one I was looking for. So she got married. She married Ewan MacDonald, who was a Presbyterian minister. Ah. Moved to Ontario. He was the minister of St. Paul's Presbyterian Church. Um, so, yes, she, she wrote a lot of books 
living in a man's she complained had neither a bathroom nor a toilet the reverend macdonald was not especially intelligent nor was he as interested in literature as montgomery was montgomery wrote in her diary i would not want him for a lover but i hope at first i might find a friend in him wow she loved scotland she loved going back to the old country Wow, and the McDonald's were had a bit of a bad history with Scotland because of reasons. So they had three sons. The second was stillborn. Uh, Montgomery believed it was her duty as a woman to make her marriage work, although she quipped to a reporter during a visit in Scotland that those women whom God wanted to destroy, he would make into the wives of ministers. <laughs> wow. Maybe that's why Mrs. Allen seems like such a wonderful person. It's like this is this is the minister's wife I I want. <laughs> want to be, yeah. Actually, it's a, that's one thing. But also, Mr. Allen seemed like a fine fellow too. Mm-hmm. Okay, so she was horrified by World War One, like horrified. Um, you know, it, it's it's been a joke before, but I do like that. The idea, like World War One ends, and it's this horrific event, and everyone's like, "Well, at least that's over." Yeah. No. Okay, so um, she was a very religious woman in in some like so she was religious, but she was in the in a uh, like she was really angry with the people who started the war, mm. and most of her students were killed. Yeah. For the, so it's just painful. And increasingly, war was all that she wanted to talk about. So she had depression. Has she written any books about war? She has actually mentioned it in a few of her books. Yeah. So she met, she had severe periods of depression whilst trying to be a mother and a church wife and her husband's attacks of religious melancholia, also known as... So he had his own depressive mm-hmm. disorder that was related to religion. And she had deteriorating health. And for the woman who had given the world so much joy, um, life was mostly an unhappy one. And in 1918, she was almost killed by the Spanish flu that killed about 50 to 100 million people around the world. Yeah, that was the last great pandemic, wasn't it? It was the last one that that ripped through society and humanity, unfortunately. We had the risk of one with the swine flu because it was similar. Uh, and but but we all got on top of that we got on top of it fairly fast yeah it's funny how many um oh. author biographies are pretty sad wow okay so her best friend died of the spanish flu and it was very upsetting but even worse Montgomery was upset that her husband had been indifferent to her as she was dying of the Spanish flu, which drove her to think about divorce, something that was very difficult to obtain in Canada until 1967. Hmm. But she decided it was her Christian duty to make her marriage work. (sighs) (laughs) Rue has feelings on this. Many. So her husband had some serious issues. Hmm. He became convinced that he was not one of the elect chosen by God to go to heaven, so that left him depressed. 
you know, I've I've heard uh, that becomes a thing with some ministers, especially when they reach middle age, they they kind of lose their faith a bit, or they start to doubt a lot. Or he's a Calvinist, and he believed too much in Calvinism. I'm sorry if you Mm. are a huge fan of Calvinism. I find the theology flawed. But, like, I'm sorry, the Reverend MacDonald often told his wife he wished that she and her children had never been born, as they were also not of the elect, and all of them were going to go to hell when they died, and believe they're all predestined to be among the damned. Wow! Yeah. that That's that's kind of like that idea is... You know, that's similar to that idea of we're all going to die anyway, so why bother doing anything? There's some really rough things... Rough thing. So, if you want to have the illusion of Anne destroyed, read her her. Um, oh. Well, I'm not looking forward to book four when the Spanish flu rips through Avonlea. Uh, well, it did turn up in one of them, um, but yes, it's bad, and those publishing disputes and those issues. Anyway, but she had a bit of a rough life. I'm looking up her death because that's kind of important. Later life. The the husband was wild. If you want to read up about a dude who's completely lost it, that's what his her husband is. So apparently, the peop- when the husband got into some controversy about the church, etc., the people actually really appreciated Mrs. Montgomery. They appreciated her, not so much him. Hmm. And yeah, not good, not good. She was really depressed. He was really depressed, and he finally sought treatment, which at the time was a sanatorium, which isn't particularly great. Mm. And, oh, no. I'm just thinking that from what we know today, it's like, this this person is depressed. Oh, let's isolate them from everyone. Yeah, there's some bad stuff happened. Bad stuff happened. Further bad stuff happened. I'm not going to go into all the bad stuff. So she actually had a bit of a gap before she came back to writing about Anne. So I think she wrote the first three books and then she continued. She got an order to the an order of the British Empire in OBE in 1935 by King George V. Okay, I don't did know this. She was given a special medal which could only be worn in public at the presence of the king or one of his representatives, like the governor general. Her husband did not attend the ceremony, but when Montgomery was by all accounts... Greatly honored to be appointed an OBE. So writing kept her was her way of addressing depression, which I can understand because mm. she could draw, She wrote beautifully. Ah, she did connect very like she appreciated the as far as they could at the time with their racism. Appreciated the First Nations people of Canada, and yeah, there was a lot of. Interesting things. So, oh no. So she she became, despite her efforts to raise the profile of Canadian literature through the Canadian Authors Association, the male avant-garde of Canadian literature, led by some other people, complained about the mostly female membership of the CAA, whom they felt had overly glorified someone like Montgomery, who was not a serious writer. Over time, Montgomery became addicted to bromides and barbiturates that the doctor had given her to treat her depression. <sighs> and then, you know, she was not happy with World War I. What do you think she felt about World War II? Mm. This nightmare that has been loosened in the world, unfair that we should have to go through it again. Her only diary entry for 1941. Wow. 
19, July 8th, 1941. Just a heads up. There's a suicide warning. Oh God, such an end to life, such suffering and wretchedness. Um, and she wrote a letter and there was conscription and she really didn't like it. Ah, so she was writing, she was trying to write the ninth book. So there were eight books. I was right. She was trying to write a ninth book, but for reasons unexplained, the publisher declined to issue the book and it could be because it was very dark and very anti-war. Ah. She talks very angrily about World War One and one passage and it didn't have, um, they have, they're publishing them sort of, but not really. So she was found dead on her bed in her Toronto home. Age? 1942. When was she born? Okay, what well, date is good enough. Yeah, 1942. 1942. She was born 1874. So in her 70s. Okay. Yeah. She died. The official cause of death was a coronary thrombosis. However, her granddaughter pointed out that Montgomery suffered depression, possibly a result of caring for her mentally ill husband for decades, although she was struggling with the war and other things too. She may have taken her own life through a drug overdose. Right. Yeah. She, she, there's a lot of things. But during her lifetime, stop laughing. It's not polite. Crows. During her lifetime, Montgomery published 20 novels, 500 short stories, an autobiography, and a book of poetry. Aware of her fame by 1920, Montgomery began editing and recopying her journals, presenting her life as she wanted it remembered, and in doing so, certain episodes were changed or omitted. She's left a huge legacy. Mm. There's the University of Prince Edward Island. 500 short stories. Yeah. That the University of Prince Edward Island promotes scholarly, scholarly inquiry into the lives, works, culture, and influence of Ellen Montgomery. But there's a lot of interesting things. Mm. And a lot of anywhere she lived, essentially, has become landmarked. Mm. But yeah, she was... Oh, her birthday... Her birthday was November 30th. Hmm. I'm trying to see if there's anything interesting about it. She's just it, She was an interesting person. Like She published books-wise, 1908, solidly, solid, solid. No, she published also earlier than that, like 1896. She started very young. Hmm. Yeah, so yeah. good well, to know. I mean, we'll just, yeah. I've said it before, but yeah, that was absolutely delightful. Yeah, yes. we're, we're at and the I end of our... On that dark ending, we are preparing ourselves. <laughs> Sorry, we're preparing ourselves for the next book, which what it's all about: the depression and the drugs and the keeping people happy. Yes. Well, it's it's about happiness. It's a fake happiness, but it's happiness nonetheless. Yeah, we're going to uh, attempt brave new world. Hmm. Yes, but- I have a general idea about what it's about because I've had students present it as a assessment item. Well. There's a couple reasons I want to pick this book. Uh, one is that every time I've read 1984 over the last decade, I've read Brave New World afterwards. There, there, I see them as companion books, not just because like Orwell and Huxley were colleagues. Um, actually, I think Huxley taught Orwell. Probably. But yeah, it, it's almost, without giving too much away... It's almost like coming at the idea of a dystopia from the other side. Mm-hmm. Like, um, 
Orwell's world is all about ruling through fear. And uh, Huxley's world, I mean, it's not completely there, but it's kind of ruling through pleasure and distraction. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's also, from what I remember, a relatively short book. Excellent. We have our dyst- we like our short dystopian fictions. Well, well. Also, I think it might be a nice change of pace. Just wow, Anne was wonderful. That was one long book. It well, yes, yes, it was. But you know, we didn't have to do any multi-episode uh, chapters. I think didn't we? Nope, not a single one. We did. We did many. Uh, episodes that had multi chapters, yes, that had more than one chapter in them, but we never had to break a chapter That's up. That's true. So there we go. Nice format. But yes, if you get a chance, read more Ellen Montgomery. She's fun, mm. um, despite the fact that she had a pretty rough life. But she does she does discuss some topics. Yes, she's got some uh, some dated views. But you know what? It, it, think back. It's 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 a flashback into the back and the back the past. It's a flashback to the past a bit, a little bit. And, you know, I, I'm just starting my go-to default now when I hear someone's hat holds a view I find abhorrent. I'm like, ah, we're all human. We're all flawed. Yeah. It, it's not an excuse. And if they're hurting people, that it means it's a problem. But, you know, none of us are perfect. There'll be something to be addressed. And all, all of us are capable of beauty and making the world a better place. Yes. Potentially, if we choose to. But on that note, yes, I think we should uh, we, we should acknowledge and appreciate Hey Good Hardy for his beautiful composition. Yes, this will be the last time we get to uh, listen to Avonlea by Hey Good Hardy, which, of course, was the music at the top of the podcast. Of course, we will continue to use I'm the Slime by Frank Zappa. And that's going to be fun because new book means new intro music. So I wonder what we'll pick. Yeah, I'll have to start looking around for ideas. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in the meantime... Uh, you can contact me on Twitter over at Dave underscore the underscore turnip. And you can find me at Rue McMoo, R-O-O-M-C-M-O-O. We have a Facebook page and a Twitter page for the podcast at S-M-B-S-L-T podcast. And if you would like to email us, it is S-M-B-S-L-T podcast at gmail.com. Uh, please leave us a review if you are able to. We'd love uh, feedback. You can get in touch with us at any of those places or anywhere else you feel appropriate just let us know about it because if you post it on your blog and we've never heard of you before it's not going to reach anyone no let us know so yeah um i hope you enjoyed anna green gables please tell us what you what you thought of the book as a whole what you thought of our discussions during the book and we'll see you next time for a whole new story Yay! bye everyone bye